our feet get ready to go on our praise and worship time welcome all of you that are here we are live we welcome all of you that are joining us wherever you're at I know some folks are out of town and some folks it was really cold this morning I guess so uh, we welcome you to our service today I want to read to you from Psalm 34 as we get ready to praise and worship the Lord and give him his just due amen as good as we can do I don't think we'll ever get to the place where we can Certainly give him all the glory that he deserves, but let's give it a shot this morning. Amen. This is a psalm of David. It said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Four of you said amen. We got to have time to complain. I don't know why he put that in here. But you know what? If this was real to us, we wouldn't have time to do all that other stuff with our mouth, would we? His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from most of my fears. Some of you have read your Bible. That's good. And I deliver me from all my fears. Tell your neighbor, say, you need to be delivered from all your fears. No matter what it is, that's where we need to live. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man, this is King David, so he's referring to himself as a poor man. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of most of his troubles. I love you all. Out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Most of us stop with that part of the verse. We don't finish it. Listen to what he says. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. That's what I have in my life. Don't you? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Now, the reason the Holy Spirit wants you and I to bear fruit is so people can taste and see that the Lord is good. That's how they determine how good God is, by pulling the fruit off of our tree. So if you're a sourhead, guess what? People ain't learning how good God is. You've got a worm in every one of your fruit. They take a bite, and half the worm's gone. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trust in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. I like this last line. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. What a word. That's like Psalm 84. It says God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk upright before him. We got a good God. And he's ready to hear us praise him so the rocks don't have to take our place. We don't want no rock taking our place. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. What a wonderful Savior we have. We really glorified him this morning 
focused on him. And I was singing about that song we sang about how our shame was nailed to the cross. You know, there's things that all of us have in our past that we wish weren't there. And there may be even people that know you and know your past. But it doesn't matter. When I was in high school and I played football for a football coach who has won a few state titles. He's a good coach. And uh, after I graduated, sometimes there would be somebody who would quit the team. And uh, he would let us vote on it. We'd have to vote by ballot whether to let them back on the team or not. And one guy got back on the team who was a really good player, but I just thought he didn't have the votes. Nobody really wanted him back on the team. And after the vote, he was back on the team. So years later, after I graduated high school, I went to the coach. I said, How, how's all that work? He said, there's only one vote that really counts. He said, I just let y'all vote cause to make you feel good. <laughs> he said, I wanted him back on the team. And he said, I know all the circumstances and you all don't. I know how his family life is or is not. I know what prompted him to do what he did. and said, none of you all knew that. He said, so the only vote that counts is mine. I got news for you this morning. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. The only vote that counts is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news, amen? That is good news. Turn around and tell your neighbor and say, Jesus got you covered. <laughs> Children's church is dismissed. We have two nurseries next door. You may be, the rest of you can be seated. It's good to see everybody this morning. It's a day the Lord has made, and I'm tickled to death that he's in charge, aren't you? I'm going to take you to a uh, unusual place, maybe. place that we all love and cherish, but... Uh, Sometimes we forget the importance of some of these books because we maybe don't get in them enough. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Esther, chapter 4. I'm going to take you to the book of Esther, chapter 4. And I'm going to give you the backdrop of this story. We don't have time to read all of it. But the backdrop is that the queen, the original queen, had ticked the king off. And so he gets him a new queen. And the new queen is Esther. And Esther was put there by the Lord. I'm amazed at how much in front of everything God is. That he's already been around the corner before any of us get there. And we just think things just happen to work out. But he was watching us the whole time. And he had a plan the whole time. He had a plan for his son. To take away all of our shame and our guilt and our sin. He had that plan before Adam and Eve was ever created according to the book of Revelation. The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So he was already entered into a covenant with his father. That he would be the propitiation for our sins. Take our shame, our guilt, our sin and take it all. Before the first sin was committed. God lives outside of time. I've showed you that before. He exists in eternity. And that's where we're going when this is over, when it's over for you and I individually. So she's set up to be queen and something's getting ready to take place 
that God's going to show himself in. But there's some interesting things that take place here. And I want to share some stuff with you about prayer, about being an intercessor, and all that stuff about surrender as we go through here. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Mordecai, of Esther, says, Now, when Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes. Let me give the rest of the story. Uh, Haman had decided to kill all of God's people, the Jews. And he was going to bring money and things into the king. He had convinced them, had this decree. Once the decree's gone forth, it has to stand. Much like with Daniel in his circumstances, the king had the decree. He, ha he followed through with putting Daniel in the lion's den. And you know that story. Similar situation. Mordecai has heard about all this. And it says he put on sackcloth and ashes and went out in the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So it's a bad moment when you feel like renting your clothes. Anybody ever been there? I've been there a few times. Been there where I just wanted to rent my clothes. In fact, that I did do that one day in prayer. It's just a bad moment when you feel the pain and the sorrow and the grief and the, the dread of something. So Esther's mage and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. He was going to stay in that state. He's praying, he's fasting, he's waiting on the Lord, trying to find some movement in the spiritual realm. Uh, then Esther called Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs whom he had appointed to attend. So she's getting in touch with him, says her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathach, uh, Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square uh, that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that he had, ha had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury to destroy the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction. So the Jews have been the target of Satan ever since God raised up Abraham. But if you want to take that and understand that, you can go all the way back to Adam and all the way through the book of Revelation. Satan has always hated God's people. The world hates God's people. They think we're crazy, but that's no love lost there. I think they're crazy because they don't see Jesus, right? But they're blind. I understand that. But the devil has always targeted whatever God's working through, right? So he, he hates the people who honor God. He doesn't want us to follow the Lord. And so Mordecai told all that had been going on, and he also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan. So there's a decree, it's been written down, that God's people are going to be destroyed. That he might show it to Esther uh, and explain it to her, that uh, he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathach returned, told Esther the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death. So you couldn't go back and see the king unless he, brought, he called for you. So there's a risk involved here 
There's a risk involved, at least from the natural point looking at it. There's a risk involved. So, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go in to the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. So she's looking at this from a practical standpoint, which is normally what most of us do in the, in, in, when we're first hit with something, right? Uh, how many times have you heard somebody say, uh, well, I've done everything I can do. I guess I'll go pray about it now. It's the last thing a lot of times for people, right? I guess uh, I've done everything I do. Now I'll go to the one that can do anything and everything. I'll go talk to him now that I'm exhausted. And so that's generally a response, and that's a human nature force, right? Uh, we won't bother God with this. We'll just do it. And so uh, she go, gives this word, and Mordecai told them to answer. Esther, I want you to pay attention when we read these next few verses. Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Have you ever thought about that? If you let something go. You don't do something the Lord's asked you to do. His will's going to get done. But it's going to cost us if we refuse him. God's not going to leave nothing undone. I thought about that. How that God wants to use us and we get blessed if we get used by him if we offer our lives as a sacrifice unto him but if we refuse him if we don't want to do what he's going to do well he'll still get his work done he may have to use someone else but we'll suffer for it i was thinking about when he was coming into jerusalem there and they said tell these people to shut up and jesus said if these people are quiet then the rocks will begin to cry out because he was going to get praise that day. He was the one. And he was coming in, riding in. He was going to get praise. And it was going to either be the people or the rocks. I think there are a lot of people like that go to church. They don't give God praise. They don't worship. Some rock's going to have to take their place. But think about that in the context of what God maybe has asked you to do. What has he asked you to do? In the context of, if you don't do this, you're going to suffer. But God's going to get his will done. So he says, relief will come or deliverance will come from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Nothing has been coincidental leading up. She shouldn't even been in the king's palace, probably, looking at it in the natural. She's wound up there by a sovereign move of God bringing her to that moment. And Mordecai is tapping into that. Now think about that. What if we were more concerned with people than we were about our ministry? I got one. Mm. I think about that. And I share this with the staff from time to time. Ministry is not about what we do. It's about people. Jesus come, didn't build a church. Didn't start an organization. He just went around hunting the lost sheep of Israel. He went around hunting lost sheep. Building relationships. Teaching them the ways of God. He didn't do very little teaching inside of a building. 
Most of his was out in the streets, out on the countryside. Out there. Out there is where they need to hear the gospel worse than we do. And he says, she says, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Watch her moment. Here's her moment. Then Esther told him to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Now we're in the middle of our fasting time. So there's value in that. It says fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Those are the people God's looking for. We've told you this many times. That we obey the laws of men until they come in conflict with the laws of God. And that's when we choose the law or the word of God over the law of men. She's got this challenge in front of her. She's human. She's looking at everything from the natural law that's been in place. She knows that those who go to the king without being called in are going to die. Mary and Joseph knew that if they talked out in public about her being pregnant, she would die. The Bible said he, he wanted to put her away privately because he loved her. Here are people <clears throat> just like us. Esther's not any different than you and I. She's flesh. Joseph was flesh. Mary was flesh. In fact, one of the most esteemed guys in the Bible, we'll read in just a moment how the Bible and makes sure that we understand he was flesh like us, Elijah. So let me, tell you, let me tell you about an intercessor. An intercessor is somebody who does more than just pray. An intercessor is somebody who stands in the gap, makes up the hedge. I'll give you a few things about an intercessor. They pray according to God's word. They don't pray their emotions. They don't pray what they want. They pray according to God's word. They pray the will of God over their own. They take what seems to be risk, as we see here. They have no regard for their own well-being. A true intercessor does not. They stand on God's ways, whether it's popular or not. And they seek a greater good. In James chapter 5, let's put that on the screen, verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So there's the guy I was just telling you about. And he prayed earnestly. <clears throat> that word earnestly is a powerful word. Uh, it's actually an adverb phrase. That's why we translated an adverbial phrase in the Greek to that word prayed earnestly. There's a phrase there in the Greek. It's an important phrase because it means somebody who perseveres with expectation. Now, here's where the difference between an intercessor 
and just somebody praying. An intercessor is totally focused on the word and the will of God, not their own desire. That's what's separate. All right? There are places in the Bible where we can pray for our own desires. God may or may not answer those, but an intercessor is somebody who shifted that gear, at least for that moment, and they're praying only the will of God and the word of God, and they don't even have their own well-being in mind. And the reason that's important is because you're going to see this. It says he prayed earnestly, so it meant he persevered with expectation. So when you're standing on God's word, he said his word will what? Not return void. So you can have an expectation. If we look at, in the New Testament, the word for hope is elpizo. Let me share this with you because I've not shared this in a while. This is the word that we translate hope. Now, when we use the word hope in English, we usually have a question mark with it. We would say things like, I hope it don't snow, or I hope it don't get below freezing, or I hope it don't rain because I have a picnic plan, whatever. But we don't have any control over the outcome, right? I hope this happens. In our language, that word has a question mark with it, right? I hope I get a good report. I hope whatever. But in the Greek, it does not have this question mark because of who the hope is in. It's in Jesus. No question mark there. If you're standing on his word like Elijah was in, in James, if we're standing on his word and we're praying according to that word and that will, then we can have an expectation with El Pizzo, a hope with no question mark. So back to James on this screen. It says, he prayed, let me, he prayed with fervent expect, or persevering expectation that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Next verse. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. So he prayed and there's about a three year, three and a half year span in between there. Elijah is the guy we're talking about here. And he lived in the driest part of Israel. So when he prayed this prayer, he was going to get as hit harder than most people. Because he was already in. He had not gotten a word from God that there would be a brook and a raven. He had no, no fresh word coming that way, right? He just took God's word, stepped out on it, and said, I'm standing right here, and I'm going to pray for your word to come to pass. Now what had happened before Elijah done this in God's word, he had already said that when Israel gives themselves to idolatry, I'm going to withhold the rain. God, that was one of the things God was going to do. So Elijah said he knew God's word, so he stepped into that word and said, God, bring that to pass. Now, why would he do that? Everybody's going to suffer once he does that. But he's praying the will of God, right? He's praying according to the will of God. He's praying. Why would you do such a thing? Why would you pray such hardship and such pain in on your people? Why would you come into agreement with a word like that? Because if God didn't bring judgment, these people were going to go deeper and further into sin. You understand that judgment is used by God many times to get people's attention to open their eyes and to turn back to Him. We don't like that. We don't like God. We don't like judgment. We don't even like to use that term. But God, sometimes nations, 
and cultures get so side off on the wrong track, they're just going to keep rolling that way until God puts a stop in the middle of that. So somebody who's willing to intercede for God's word and his will to come to pass is valuable. Because they pray God's will. If he was praying according to his own emotion, he would have said, God, get all of them that are living like that. Let the famine come on them, but let me and my family have plenty of water to drink. That's not an intercessor. Because not only all those things I read to you before, an intercessor identifies with those who are in trouble. Moses said, if you're going to kill them, kill me. Daniel said, we have sinned. Daniel didn't have nothing to do with their stupid sin. He was just a boy, technically. But he said, we. When he prayed intercessory prayer in Daniel chapter 9, he said, we. Now, the only way you can be an intercessor is have compassion on the sinners that are involved. You're not a true intercessor unless you can have compassion on the, 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 the loss that are involved. So an intercessor does not do his will. He prays according to God's will. And I'm going to throw something real heavy on you here in just a minute. But this guy, Elijah, who's our beautiful intercessor, who is a fervent, persevering, expectant prayer. That's part of being an intercessor. Uh, we find ourselves with Esther doing, she's doing the same thing. She's, she's having them fast and pray, and she's going to actually walk into that moment, even in the natural, and stand in the gap, taking all the risk. All the risk. So, so far... In this country, we don't even blush at abortion anymore. My wife and I read a little account from Jack Nicholson. Everybody know who Jack Nicholson is? He said, I'm pro-life because if I wasn't, I'd be a hypocrite because I was an illegitimate child, he said. Now, he's not a believer. But isn't it funny? It's not funny, but isn't it ironic that everybody that's for abortion has already been born. They've already got their chance, right? They get to live. Then we'll call the shots. What if an intercessor said, Lord, let the blood of the innocent children come on this nation so that we might turn back to you? That's basically what Elijah was doing. He was saying, Lord, we're going so far out in the field we're not coming back unless you bring judgment and get people's attention. There's nothing in the Bible that says America is going to be spared or Kentucky. In fact, let me take you to, um, let me take you to first, uh, first Peter chapter 3. I'm going to show you something here. <clears throat> in First Peter chapter 3, what if we pray God's will instead of our will? Second Peter, I'm sorry. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10. Second Peter chapter 3. 3 verse 10 judgment is a means of redemption in many cases for those uh, who heed right so sometimes when people don't see the the fallout from the sin they just keep living it you understand what I'm saying a lot of times people don't see the repercussions of it right so now getting abortion is like just having a regular doctor visit in this country and it's not just America it's all over the world 
But so what we do is we've gotten so deadened to that until we see some repercussions of that, we're going to keep doing it. I mean, we're, we're probably past 80 million, but somewhere in that neighborhood and the ones they know about. So we, we're, we're and, and I want to say this because I, I normally say this when I talk about abortion. If you've had an abortion, anybody, and I know my voice goes around the globe now, you can be forgiven. We're not, none of that's null and void. The Lord will forgive you. But you don't call it right, right? None of us get to call our sin right or okay. We all, and there's no bigger little sin, I get it, right? All sin is sin. If you break the law on one point, you broke the whole law. I get it. I get it. You can murder somebody with your tongue. I understand. But all of our sin, we don't get to call what we were involved in okay and then call everybody else's sin bad. It's all bad. So one of the ways you and I to step into redemption and to be made whole is to say, yeah, my, my, that was sin, no matter what it is. But you can be forgiven. You can be clean. Moses was a murderer. God forgave him and used him, the greatest deliverer the world's ever known, outside of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, God, God, God does great things through people who have sinned because guess what? We've all sinned. So God, he, he is a redemptive God. That's, that's the thing. But in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, that means America, that means Kentucky, that means Boyle County and Lincoln County and Gary County. So I think we need to take a step back and quit getting so worked up about our family heirlooms and come back to the will of God. What would be best for this nation? Let me say it to you this way. What's most important to God in this life? People. The only thing that has value to God in this life is the souls of men. He don't care nothing about your jewelry, nothing about your retirement. That stuff means nothing in the scheme of eternity. What God is really concerned about are the souls of men. How do we know that? Because of verses like this, and there's more of them than the one I'm reading here in Peter. He's going to destroy everything. He's going to burn it all up and start over with a new heaven and new earth. In fact, that's what he says. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons are you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, which righteousness dwells. So all this is going to be done away with. And the only thing that has value to God is people. We've got to get there. You and I have to get there. uh, To be a true intercessor and to be used of God in these last days, God's not sparing America. Our time of judgment may be put off, but it's coming. The whole world's going to be destroyed before this is over with. And what I'm asking the question of, What if we're more concerned about praying God's will than our will, even if it puts us in the middle of it? The Bible says in Psalm 27 or somewhere there that a righteous man swears to his own hurt and changes not. In other words, he stepped into that moment. He's keeping his word and God's will, even if it cost him something. And it cost Jesus everything to step into a human flesh and come and walk a mile in our shoes. So what if somebody in our country starts lining up with the Word of God and says, God, give us what we've 
earned so that our, the eyes of the people we love will be open to the reality that life and death is really at stake. Put up 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Look at this verse. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come under repentance. You know what that means? That means it was not God's will for Charles Manson to go to hell, Adolf Hitler to go to hell, anybody. From what we see, the fruit of their lives, most likely those guys wound up there, but it wasn't, it wasn't God's will for them. to. What if we cared about sheep and people the way God does? What if we cared about sheep and the lives and souls of men and women, their eternal destiny, more than we did about our own stuff? In fact, the Bible tells us to do that, right? It says to care more about the things of others than we do our own stuff. What if we cared more about that than we did our ministry? What if we cared more about God, people coming into the body, people getting saved out of darkness and out of sin? He said we should be praying for the hearts of men and women to be saved. Jesus came down here looking for lost people. He said, I've come for the lost and the sick. Those that are well, he said, do not need a physician. He said, that's what he came for. What if that was our heart? What if we were more concerned about the souls of men and women than we were other things that even have to do with ministry? But we were more concerned about whether somebody was born again. We should be praying for what is dearest to God's heart. We should be interceding. And that intercession may carry you out of your closet into speaking to someone. What if you're supposed to be the one to speak to them? What if you're supposed to be the one to share the message of the gospel, to invite them to church? Jesus came. What if we were all uh, intentional? What if we were as intentional about finding lost people as the Lord was? What if we were intentional about that? How would our lives be if we stepped into that moment? If we were that intercessor, how would our lives go if we were that intercessor? A surrender. Somebody who surrenders can become an intercessor. Somebody who is willing to surrender their own will in their own way. I told you this story not too long ago, but I'll bring it back into this moment. It's, it's hard for us to be intercessors because praying for somebody you love to be broken instead of blessed is hard. Think about Elijah. Elijah wasn't... He didn't know that the brook was going to be out there by that river. He didn't know that. He didn't know that God was going to that the, uh, the raven, I'm sorry, was going to be there. He didn't know any of that. He didn't know all the plans, God. He just stepped on God's word and said, bring this to pass. And he knew what a hardship it was going to be on the whole land of Israel. Can you pray the things that are hardships? Maybe, and it's going to put you right in the middle of it. How about Daniel? How about these guys who identify and so Elijah goes out there, and he's an intercessor. He's willing to surrender. Now back to Esther. She took a moment right there and became an intercessor because she said, if I perish, I perish. When the Holy Spirit came to Mary 
and said, you're going to conceive? She said, let it be done to your handmaiden. Surrender. Surrender. Now, if you're in a moment in your life where you want to go deeper and further in God, it's about surrender. It's not about trying harder. That's how the culture lays it on us. Try harder, try harder, try harder. But in the body, it's about surrender. It's about surrendering to the will of God. And it's about not knowing what's around the corner when you do surrender, but you surrender because you know the one who's asked you to surrender has already been around that corner. It's about trust. God wants us to trust Him and love Him before we work for Him, quote unquote. He wants us to learn how to love and trust Him and be available to Him. That's what Esther is. I think a lot of times if we're not careful, we'll be cumbered about with our will and not God's will. And God's will steps into that moment. I've asked, I ask myself that question. Am I willing to pray that prayer? Am I willing to go before God and say, God, give America what she deserves for shedding innocent blood? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to pray that prayer. But yet at the same time, I'm watching countless people headed to hell. And I'm thinking, what's going to jog this nation? What's going to jog us? What's going to open our eyes to the fact that we're doing, we're doing all these things against God? Do we need some judgment to wake us up? If you'll remember when 9-11 happened, most of our churches were filled for a few weeks. But over time, over time, because the whole nation was not impacted. It was just a pocket of judgment, about two or three pockets of judgment. But what if famine came to America? What if the reality of all of our sin was in front of us? And what if those of us who don't live like the world, we've chose to follow Jesus, what if we started identifying with them? I'm saying this is our country too. What if we want to become part of the solution? Intercessory prayer is not flippant prayer. Intercessory prayer is identifying with the problem, with the sin, and putting yourself at risk, and maybe even putting yourself in trouble or harm's way because you're so concerned about the will of God being done. Now, what happens when generations step into that sin? Our generations in the early 70s embraced, and I'm just using this as one example, but they embraced abortion. What that does over time, it begins to normalize it. And now we've got generations. If we were to go into the public school system in our area, and we're more of a conservative state for the most part, but if you went into our area here, I would almost guarantee you that more teenagers would say it's okay than not. Almost guarantee you that. Because the acceptance of what we know to be sin has come full circle to these last few generations. They don't even view it that way anymore. They just view it as part of who we are. And it is part of who we are. We don't like to acknowledge that as Christians, but our nation 
has a history of shedding innocent blood. That's our history. And if we're going to do anything about it, we're going to have to come into agreement with God. And God, part of his plan is sometimes to bring judgment in situations so that people will have their eyes open and see the damage that's going on and the trouble that's caused between them and their creator. But do you want to pray that prayer? Do you want to pray that prayer? Do I want to pray that prayer? Do I want to say, God, give us our just reward in this nation for what we've done? So maybe, just maybe, some people might wake up. That's what Elijah did. I know we like the other one, right? We like the other intercessory by Esther who stepped in and gave the Israelites a chance to defend themselves. But what about that intercessory that says, Lord, let famine come on this land so my people won't keep going astray and they'll see what their sin has caused. That's intercessory prayer. Now here's what, what does God ask you to do? Maybe he's not asked you to be an intercessory prayer. Maybe that call, maybe he will. Maybe your moment will come like Esther. God will set you up in a moment for you to take a stand for what's good and what's right. Will you take that stand? Or will God have to transfer that blessing to somebody else because you refuse? That's what, that's what Mordecai told Esther, right? He said, if you don't hear, if you don't heed, God will still bring deliverance, but he'll have to do it through somebody else and it'll cost you. And I think about that sometimes. I think about what is God asking me to do? What's he asking you to do? Will God have to go to someone else and say, listen, you need to do this, right? Because we wouldn't do it. I've said this before. I want us to be Basilea, living water, the well. I want us to be the people that when God comes into a moment or to an area and he's looking for somebody to do something, that if they can't find them, that God can be able to say in heaven, hey, take that down there to living water. They'll do whatever we ask them to do. I want to be that guy. I want us to be those people that God will hand off, say, well, if we can't find anybody else to do it, take it back down there to them. They'll do whatever we ask them to do. But I want that to be true of me personally. Whatever. God's not going to overwork you. He don't do that. He's the one that set up resting, right? He's the one that ceased from his labor himself. God's not going to overwork us, but he does want to use us, and he wants us to yield to him and to be able to pray according to his will. Now, back to my example that I started to give earlier, I was praying for somebody whom I love dearly. And I was praying religious prayers. And I said, Lord, bless them. You know, I just got caught up into the moment. Lord, bless them. And I run into that wall. Most of you have heard this story. But I run into that wall and the Lord said, bless them. I have blessed them. He said, you need to pray that I'll break them. Brokenness is a part of the way. Brokenness, people to be humbled. How many people... Do we know? Let's just be real. I don't, this, uh, let's get the elephant out of the room. How many people do we know that have hit tragedy in their lives and have turned to God? Many of them. A lot of people. I've run into people all over this country and parts of the world where people have hit tragedy and come to God. My grandfather 
came to God after the rock fell in on him and crushed him. And he lay in a bed for 21 years paralyzed before he died. But that's when he came to God after tragedy. Now I'm not praying for tragedy. What I'm praying is for God's will. But sometimes it's hard to pray, God. Break them instead of bless them. But a true intercessor will lay aside their desire and pray according to what the Holy Spirit has given them. That's true intercession. I know we all want to win the lottery. Quote, unquote. Right? Nobody should ever have to lose at anything. That's where the world's at. That's why they even give a trophy to the little boy who sits out in the middle of the field and picks his nose while everybody else is playing. Because nobody loses, right? Nobody loses. That's not reality. And so it's hard maybe to look at your child through the lens of prayer or your grandchild and say, God, they need to be broken. You don't get to call the shots. We don't get to set the parameters for that. Don't get into that. Don't try to get into the specifics of it. Just turn them over to God. You don't have to say, God, let, them, let this happen to them. That's not your call. You don't have any business in that jurisdiction. That belongs to God. He decides how he breaks them. But you can come into agreement like I had to with people I love and start praying for God to break them. Now, I don't get, we don't know how that works. Sometimes God breaks people in different ways. But whatever he uses to get people's attention, to get them in heaven, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with getting people to turn to him and be born again? Nothing's wrong with that. But we don't see that because we don't want anybody to go without socks. Right? Why? Well, Lord, don't. I remember a guy came to me years ago, and, and, and I've probably told some of this story as well. But he, he got out of prison, and he, he came to me, and he, he, he was, uh, nobody would give him a job. He got a job, finally got a job making $6 an hour running a concrete truck, and he lived in a house that somebody rented him that was basically on its way to being condemned. He slept on the floor, no bed, and he had a fireplace. That's how he kept warm. No electricity. I mean, he started with nothing, and he got with the Lord, and he came to me not long after that, making $6 an hour, no really, and he said, uh, <clears throat> the Lord has asked me, he said, I'm going to start paying 20% instead of 10 And the first thing I did was like... I wanted to throw my hands up and say, no, you know, that's not. But I, the Holy Spirit stopped me and said, leave him alone. This is between me and him. He's testing me. He's putting me out there. It's hard to step out into a moment when you're challenged, when you're tried. The next thing that happened to this guy, he bought a 40-acre farm, run cattle, owned his own business. God took that. It wasn't about the money. It was about the heart. And he'd done what God said in Malachi. He put him to test. And that's what we're afraid of. We don't want to see somebody suffer. That's why I, about, I, tried, I was getting ready to stop him. I thought, you're barely surviving now. Why are you in it? But the Holy Spirit said, leave him alone. This is between he and I. And, and here's what I want to say to you. It's hard to pray sometimes for God to break them. It's, that's a hard prayer to pray. But God's number one desire is this. It's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come unto repentance. Now, I don't know. I never saw my grandfather. He died before I was born. But because God saved him, 
through a set of circumstances. I'll see him someday. I sat on that porch from a lady who was almost 90. I used to mow her grass and she said, come up here, I want to tell you something. She gave me a glass of water. She said, I was there the day they baptized your grandfather. Never heard this story. She said he was on a gurney because he, he was paralyzed from his waist down from a mine collapse. And she said, I watched them, four men, take him into that creek and baptize him on that gurney. Tears started running down my face. What sounded so tragic. I grew up with that one picture. I'll die. With, that's the only picture I know, maybe two, of my grandfather. Him laying in that bed paralyzed from his waist down. Never knew him. But I live with that memory and thinking about him getting baptized and being in heaven versus the tragedy that took place in his life makes it worth it. I know people, you know people, that when hardship came, no matter what the hardship was, it turned their attention. I know none of us liked suffering. I know all of us want America to get its act together. But there's nothing in the Bible that says America is going to be spared and everybody else is going to go under. So being an intercessor, it may be prayer. It may be stepping in between something like Esther did so that God's will. But it will involve, at least on the outside, it will involve taking risk. Are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to stand? He said, if you don't stand, Esther, God will raise up deliverance from somewhere else. How many things are passing us by because we won't be the one to stand? Let's stand our feet. Judgments is a means of redemption. You know what's going on in the seven years of tribulation? God is using that time to get the people to turn to Him. You know what John said? And I'll prove this to you. John said in the book of Revelation that in the great tribulation that a number that no man could number coming out of that from every tongue, tribe, and nation had been saved. That judgment that we read about that looks so horrible is a means of God, of God taking that and drawing people to Him because they see who's really in charge. This country, and I'll say it this way because we don't have any, it's not our job to call what happens. We don't know how God needs to get our attention, but we can come in agreement with him and say, we need you to get our attention. This country, God needs to get our attention. Because we've went the wrong way really bad since the 20s. If you study history, when the 1920s came, this country turned, made a U-turn and started going the wrong direction. And it's progressively gotten worse. So I don't know how that looks. Like I said, that's not our jurisdiction. You don't get to tell God how to judge or what to do or how to remedy things or rectify things. We just come in agreement and say, God, this country needs to wake up. Can you help us wake up and leave the rest of it up to him? That's what needs to happen. I've got family that needs to wake up. You've got family that needs to wake up. I'm telling you, nothing is more important than people being born again. Nothing. We need to think like that. There's nothing more important than people being born again. And Elijah loved his people so much 
Then he said, God, I'll suffer right in the middle of this with them. If you'll turn our faces back toward you. Would you do that? Would you suffer with your brothers and sisters physically and with your community if it would turn them back to Christ? Are you willing to do that? That's what an intercessor does. Lord, we thank you for this moment. Somehow, we are so in love with our comfort in the world. We love our comfort. And we don't want to be put out of comfort. And Lord, I'm not here to tell you how to do things. That's not my place. But I am here to ask for you to turn the hearts of men and women. We know this country someday will not be able to stand. May not be in our lifetime. May not be before the rapture. But we know this country's not going to be spared. The whole world's going to come under your judgment. But we see lost people in among us, Lord. We don't know what needs to happen to turn their hearts to you, but we don't want them to be lost, Lord. We don't want them to go to hell. We want them to turn to you. And we know you've promised that you're going to take care of us. We don't have anything to worry about. When all the darkness covered Egypt, there was still light in Goshen. We know you're going to take care of your own. We know that. We trust you. But what do you need to do to turn the hearts and the eyes of this people in this nation back to you? In this state, in Washington, D.C., we pray. I pray for our leaders. I pray for them, Lord. The greatest thing that could happen is not for us to get some kind of political agreement but for people to get saved for their hearts to be changed in the congress in this state in the congress in this country and politics locally the greatest thing that could happen you told us to pray for our leaders I pray Lord that they'll have a heart for you that you'll be first in their life I pray for Hollywood Lord that there'd be a revival there a revival of hearts where people start seeing their sin and they begin to repent for it. Whatever you need to do in this land, God, to bring people back to you, that's what I'm asking for. I'm asking for you to do stuff in this country and in this nation, in my own family tree. I'm asking you to do stuff in my family tree that will bring people back to you. Because nothing is more important than people being saved. So I ask you this morning, can you make a move this morning as you pray? If you come here and pray, stay in your seat and pray. Wherever you pray, can you make a move and say, God, I want to step into that place where I pray your will and not my own. I want to pray your will for my family, for my own life, for my state, for my nation, for this world, for Israel. I'm going to make this as clear to you. This is clear. This is intercession. When the Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're actually praying for the Lord to come back. Because I want to make this clear to you. There's not going to be any peace in Jerusalem until the Lord comes back. There's going to be a little false peace for the Antichrist now. But really, that's intercession. You and I are praying for the Lord to come back. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for the Lord to come back because that's when the peace will happen. 
You see how you're praying in the will of God? Jerusalem's going to be a stumbling block to every nation, the Bible says. That includes America. We're going to turn on Israel at some point. I'm praying we get raptured before that happens as a nation. But we're going to turn on Israel. We're going to turn on them. We're already starting that. Look at our country. So there's not going to be in peace in Israel. But as we intercessory, when, when we intercede prayer-wise for Israel and say, Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for Jesus to return. Because that's when the peace is coming. So I ask you this morning as we open this altar, will you turn that tie and say, Lord, make me a prayer who prays your will and not my own. Will you come, whatever your need is, as we worship?